The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Welcome to the We Are LCC podcast. I'm Christine Jones, your host, alum, parent, and the school's alumni officer. Today, we have Emmanuel Mavridakis from the class of 2018, who is a self-proclaimed mustard seed who has moved mountains after sustaining a life-threatening spinal cord injury and brain trauma. He's a young man that will inspire us all to appreciate what we have and take things day by day. So again, I wanted to thank you so much for being here today and joining us on the We Are LCC podcast. It's a privilege for me to be able to sit down and hear about your story. And so thanks for taking the time out to be with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here and I'm sure it's going to be a great time. It is. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background? I know you graduated in 2018, I believe. So what have you been up to since LCC? So since LCC, I went directly to Marianopolis, where I did a citizenship degree in law, society, and justice, which I really enjoyed, especially with how I want to pursue law in the future. Afterwards, I'm now currently at Concordia University doing a undergrad in political science with a minor in law, and I should be finishing in the next year. And once I do, I'm looking to apply to law school. Okay. And what what's motivated you to pursue law school? Was it an interest you always had? It's somewhat an interest I've always had. Basically, in 2016, a very dear friend of my mom from childhood reached out to her that they haven't spoken to in years. And she was just talking, catching up. And she had mentioned, oh, what does your son want to do Like when he grows up? What does he want to do? What is, her, what is his interest? And my mom had mentioned, oh, he wants to be, he's thinking about doing law, maybe. And coincidentally, her husband was senior partner at a firm in Montreal. And fortunately, that gave me the opportunity of receiving an internship for a few summers where I kind of worked in a law firm, doing very administrative stuff, nothing too, too much responsibility, but I really enjoyed it. So from there, I kind of looked more and more into law kind of what I want to do within law. And from that, I've kind of narrowed it down to corporate law is what I want to go into. But I also would like to go into disability law, which basically attacks disability laws in not only provincially, but federally as well. And it's what, in my opinion, we need more of because today not enough is being put towards certain things, I guess, accessibility, because it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind situation, right? Like a lot of people who aren't in the situation, they might not, it's not that they don't want to think about it. It's just, they might not realize, oh, this is actually much more important than this, or the funding should be going more towards this than that. So I'm kind of looking forward to do going into that. And I mean, you're so right. Unless people are directly affected by something, they don't necessarily think think of it as important. So when you mentioned disability law, I know you had a terrible accident in 2013, but a lot of people listening might not know what happened. And would you be able to tell us about what happened and how it's kind of shaped your life? So in 2013, on July 6th, 
I was involved in the car accident. I was at my country house and I was crossing my road on my ATV with a few of my friends and a car was speeding and didn't see me and just hit me. So from that, I had eight broken ribs. I had a punctured lung. I had T1, T2 collision in the spinal cord. I had a massive brain trauma, um, scratches all over my body. I had a 2% chance of making it, so I'm very fortunate I did, of course. I was never supposed to walk again, um, stand again, be able to communicate like this again. How old were you at the time? I was 13. I was you were 13, 13 years in old. 2013. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. And so far, I've beat all the odds of what the doctors have said, and I'm continuing with my training right now. So afterwards, I went, I stayed in the intensive care unit at Sagestin after being operated at Sherbrooke Trauma Center. I went to Sagestin. I was in the intensive care unit for a few weeks. Then afterwards, I attended Marie-Enfant Rehabilitation Center until about January 2014. And that's when I came back to school in February, January 14 at LCC. And yeah, that's basically it. It's an incredible story. I mean, it's it's frightening, but it's an incredible story of resilience and obviously, I'm sure, inspirational to a lot of people. And when you think back to those times, what do you feel made you be able to sort of get through it? Honestly, it all comes to my surroundings. I'm very, very fortunate to have had such amazing friends and family who are always there for me, always reminding me to just stay positive, be appreciative of what you have, don't think about what you don't have. Because at the end of the day, how I look at it is, it's really just my mobility in certain senses. I mean, of course, back then, when I just had the accident, a lot of things were a lot harder for me. Whereas now I'm completely independent. I live on my own. I do everything myself. So I've, I've learned, of course. However, I find that it's really just the outlook I've had with the support I've had, which has really helped me and really helped me keep a positive attitude and always think about where I'm going rather where I am. Right. No, that's actually very well said. And I'm sure even though you have that positive outlook and things have turned out well for you, given the circumstances that you were in, what would you say some of the biggest challenges were, let's say right after the accident or throughout the years? I'm sure there's been different yeah, challenges that you have faced. Again, I'm fortunate enough that I've had great friends and stuff. So like, for example, let's say we go to a restaurant or a place where there are stairs. I have friends who live to just one grabs the back of the chair, one grabs the front of the chair. It's fine. So stairs <laughs> is not a problem for now. But um, honestly, the hardest part has really just been seeing a lot of my friends doing a lot of the things I would love to do. I'm a huge basketball fan. So basketball is a, was a big part of my It still is a big part of my life because, of course, it's, it's different now. So I, I guess seeing that, uh, I used to be a big snowboarder, big soccer player, hockey player. So just doing a lot of those type of sports that I can technically still do with some modifications, of course, but it just, it's, it was a bit hard seeing that, especially with how athletic I was. For sure. And as a teenager, you know, it's like yes. your teenage years. It's like your prime. <laughs> so, so that was probably the hardest part. But you did just complete a 5k. And so can you tell us how did you train for that? And how did it go? And how was that whole process for you? I mean, it's very, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So, so I did the 5k with my 
private physio clinic, NeuroConcept in Montreal. And I've been training for it for, I would say, four or five months, just doing intensive training. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't really think of that 5K as that long. But it's it's tough. But I'm very much looking forward to next year's 10K. Oh, my gosh. You're going to do 10. Yes. Okay. And so are you still doing physio on a weekly basis? So over the summer, I was in an intensive where I was doing five days a week, four hours a day. Wow. Yeah, which is a lot. And now I'm doing this with school. I'm doing twice a week, three hours a day. But at home, I also work out. I have a gym at, I'm fortunate to have a gym at the, my country place. And in the summer, I have my pool so I can swim. And that's been a lot, a very big help. But I'm, I'm still staying very active. Oh, that's, no, I mean, that's a, so good. And you're so young that you have a whole life ahead of you. So it's good that you have that mindset, you know? I know that you were doing some motivational speaking. So can you just tell us about what different groups you, you've been speaking to, like who the audience is, for example, and what kind of topics do you address with them? And how, does, how is that going for you? Of course. So I first started in 2014 with the public speaking, end of 2014, 2015. And I was the head spokesperson of um, the Melio Foundation at St. Justine. And I was basically going to high schools around, across Quebec explaining about spinal cord injury and trauma, kind of my story, what I went through and how I'm still like any other teenager, you know, still happy going to school and everything. So I started off with that. I was fortunate enough to have been reached out by TEDx, where I did a TED Talk in 2015, which I really enjoyed doing. And I'm possibly doing another TED Talk very soon in the future that's in the works. And I've also spoken at a Concordia conference of the lead, young leaders of Quebec in 2015, which was which I really enjoyed as well. And now it's not really a public speaking, but I'm currently working on writing an article with the um, head of accessibility of Quebec. And we're going to see how we can improve accessibility in Quebec, not only for people with mobility issues, but just any sort of disability that isn't really thought about. So that's where I am with my public speaking. No, that's amazing. I mean, you've taken a negative experience and obviously turned it into something where you're trying to help others, you know, and paying it forward. Do you see often younger teenagers in situations like yourself that you were in and try to talk them through it? Yes, for sure, for sure. So I've had, so when I was working with the Melio Foundation at Sage Justin, I had more of that kind of opportunity. And it's really, it's really nice to see the positive effect that even just spending five minutes with somebody can have. And it really changes a lot of people's outlooks. I've, I've worked with two specific people who have told me just hearing my story and this, me motivating them and helping them kind of have a better outlook on life has changed their life completely. And both of those people are doing amazing right now to where they were. So I'm very, very happy to see how they improved and how they progressed. And now I'm not as much really doing that just because I don't really have that. Um, I'm not involved with the St. Justine Hospital anymore because I'm above, I'm, I'm an adult now. So 
they focus on the children. But at the moment, I'm still speaking with a lot of patients at my clinic right now at Neho Concept. And I'm very happy to, you know, just spend time, speak, share my experience. And a lot of people have also reached out to me online, which I love. I'm always open to answering questions about my experience. I'm always open to answering questions about what I think others should do being in a position like mine, what might help, what might not help, and just kind of lead them in the right direction. That's so nice. And did you have anybody when you were going through it as like a mentor or someone that you could reach out to? I wouldn't really say in my position immediately. However, I will say that when I was 15, I started to try out wheelchair basketball and I met a pretty incredible guy named Woody Belfort. And he is probably one of the most, one of the strongest, most incredible people I know. He, um, I believe he has cerebral palsy and he is a wheelchair bodybuilder now. And he does things that none of my friends who can, who are completely, you know, mobility fine like could ever think of doing that's amazing it's incredible so i mean he was pretty much a role model for me and he taught me to always push for more do more you can always do more don't think of your position as something that's gonna like restrain you well that's actually so important you know and it's obviously it's a hard thing to for someone just to say but if you actually have the example that you can watch somebody and sort of follow that follow how they've been able to overcome those challenges and obviously it makes a difference, you know? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And so I know also along with school and everything else you're doing, you started your own business as well. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's more of a little side business. It's not something I, I okay. I won't say it. it's not something I won't continue, <laughs> but it's just something for now. I'm, I'm really happy that both my parents were in the fashion industry. So I've been able to develop a lot of great connections within that industry. So Basically, I run a exclusive buy and sell sneaker and clothing business where basically I buy exclusive clothing and shoes and I resell them. And it seems easy in my opinion. I mean, when I first heard it, when I first got into it, I was like, oh, this is going to be so easy. I can just do this, do that. But there's a lot of studying. You need to study the market. You need to see what's going to sell, what's not going to sell. And it's just access to everything with all the exclusive items that release they're in very limited quantities, so it's very hard to get them sometimes. So I've been doing that since 2016. In 2018, I developed it a bit more where I started doing consignment, where I had friends and clients give me their items and I would sell them for a percentage. And I also do sourcing. So if people are ever looking for anything, they can message me and I'll find it for them right away. Oh, that's awesome. I actually love knowing that myself. <laughs> Perfect. You ever need anything? I mean, I love it. No, but you know, it's amazing. You're obviously a very intelligent and capable person. If you're doing school, you've got the business, you still are taking care of your health, your physio. How do you manage it all? How do you, how do you make sure that you still have this work life balance and fit it all in? And I honestly just take it day by day. I like to plan ahead a little bit, but I'm not one of those people who is worrying about what next month is going to hold. I'm going to take it how it is. I'm going to make the most of it. And as long as I'm happy, I think it's okay. 
actually great advice. You know, there's a lot of people, I think that we're always thinking and worried about what's to come, which yes, of course we have to think about the future, but sometimes we can overthink. So if you're just taking it on one day at a time. And I've really learned to live in the moment and just take advantage. I bet. Like I'm sure living through this life altering experience has changed you as a person, even though you were 13 and young, you were still coming into yourself. So how do you think that that's sort of changed you like personality and the way that you sort of your outlook on life? I think it's given me a much more appreciative outlook on life, kind of looking at things and realizing how fortunate you are to have certain things that you might not even think about, right? Like just, I mean, when, when I first got out of the accident, it was a lot harder for me to do certain things like, you know, getting dressed or doing more like autonomous things that normal people do, like brushing teeth easy, eating easy. And you kind of realize that a lot of people are unfortunately not able to do those things. And I became much more appreciative because I see myself in this position. However, at the end of the day, you know, there's always going to be somebody that's having a harder time than you are. So I kind of have that outlook where I should be appreciative. Even the position I'm in, I should still be appreciative of everything I do have rather than focus on what I don't have. And I really find that amazing. And it must have taken you a while to get to that point. But, you know, often we take so many things for granted. So it's like you might, someone could break their arm and then say, oh, hi, oh, no, I can't do all these things. And that's such a small thing compared to what you have lived. So I'm sure over the years, you've been able to to come to that point. Yeah, of course. I'm bouncing around a bit, but going back to your what you want to pursue in law school and then sort of, I guess, more in your future, what do you think the main challenges are, whether it's in Quebec or Canada or even just in Montreal with accessibility and disability? I mean, I know that you said first there's a mobility issue. So that's obviously people that are physically not able to do things, but obviously there's all kinds of disabilities with a big range. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and and what, what do you think your work or what kind of work you'd like to do or the people that you sort of have been talking about it with, what kind of stuff would you like to see changed, I guess? So the two biggest challenges with accessibility at the moment is probably, I mean, A, funding not enough funding whatsoever is going to accessibility, which is kind of a shame because I look at places like in the U.S. where in a lot of states, it's it's like a law law that you need to have every public building accessible to the minimum requirements and not in all states. In some states, like for example, in California, California is probably the most adaptable state there is. And it's just... I find it's a shame because it's not only for people with mobility issues like myself, but I mean, mothers with carriages, um, just other examples like that, that is more brought, not brought to light, but people understand more and people experience that more in life, you know, seeing their mom or their, their aunt or whatever. And just even for elderly people as well, it's a lot harder. Like in my opinion, it's crazy that New York has, I pretty, I'm fairly certain New York has all of their stations for the metro accessible with elevators. And in Quebec, we only have like 16. Wow. Out of the 60 plus something stations. 
that's just challenging on a day-to-day basis because what if you need to get somewhere? You actually have to map out how you're going to do it. Exactly. And a lot of the time, you know, the station you get off at won't have an elevator. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so how do they address that? Well, they're saying they're putting funding towards making everything accessible. And they honestly, over the past couple of years, it's been getting a bit better where more and more stations have been getting accessible. However, in my opinion, comparing it to other countries, other states, it has not been as much of a focus as I think it should be. And because of cutbacks, they said that it's going to take a lot longer. And that's always the excuse, cutbacks. Okay, we can't attack this now because of cutbacks. And at the end of the day, it's all a funding issue. The second point is mostly like, I feel mobility. Mobility restrictions are the most, are the hardest part in Quebec. I mean, especially in downtown Montreal and the old port, we have a lot of historical buildings, right? So they can't be renovated. They can't have ramps added to them. They can't have elevators added to them because of the historical element to them, which is somewhat understandable. But at the same time, I feel like they're should be some sort of solution. I don't know, maybe having a lift on the side of the building or something to help create another entrance. And I think those are the two hardest things. I mean, even like my building. So my building is a historical building that I live in, but we have amazing doormen 24-7 and we have a ramp that they literally just pull out. Oh, that's amazing. It's easy, easy. It takes two minutes to get out the ramp, go up, whatever. And I feel that... The issues can be attacked in a much easier way than a lot of people think. And I feel it's just taking the time to really think about it and think about how we can make this better and how we can improve not only as a province, but, you know, just as a country as well. And just make everything more accessible and make everybody feel a bit more welcomed and a bit more seen. You're right. It probably doesn't have to be so complicated. You know, there's probably simple solutions that could be put in place to make people feel like more inclusive and be able to get around in their city. And maybe a lot of it also has to do with education, like educating people on what is actually needed and not just, let's say, the government level, but just even the general population. You know, I'm sure maybe I'm wrong, but if you're out and about, there's probably just general people out there, citizens that have never maybe come across somebody that A, has a disability or is in a wheelchair and they don't even know how to help you. It's exactly that. It's 100% that. And it's just, it's hard though to implement something like that because under what circumstance, like in a school way, are you going to teach a class about accessibility? Like I don't, me being in my position, I don't even see something like that happening to be honest with you. So I feel like, unfortunately, it's up to individuals themselves to kind of look into it and kind of inform themselves. And from my point of view, there isn't really a clean cut answer or solution to that kind of informing and educating people about the situation. I mean, unless you've been in it or you have a family member or friend that's been in it, I can't see how even me, let's say I wasn't in this accident, I would never picture myself really going out the way to learn more about that. It's so true. I mean, it, it comes down to that, the awareness of it. And kind of like we were saying at the at the beginning of the conversation, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind kind of thing. Exactly. We're not going to know. And it doesn't mean that we're not people that care about other people, but you only know what you know, you know? 100%. I mean, I do think there's a place in 
education or schools to try to teach students about it. Like I know at LCC, we have the program with the Mackay Center. And so there's like an awareness there for some of the students to work with some of the kids. Yes, exactly. So stuff like that is amazing. And even with even when I was at LCC, when we were doing our uh, final project in grade 11, I worked with the GEM Foundation. So the GEM Foundation works with people who have intellectual disabilities and helps them give jobs that are paying. And it's, it's very simple things, but it was great because I was fortunate enough to be able to actually go to the, the GEM workshop and actually help out these people, see how they live, see how they work, and just spend time with them. And I feel like small programs like that are probably the best thing we could implement more into school. And I feel that it's necessary just so people get more of an understanding about what other people go through and what other people who are not in the same situation as you go through. No, it's so true. And I know, um, I mean, I think anyone that gets involved in a program like that, I think it's a privilege. On one of our prior podcasts, we actually had a woman that worked at the Mackay Center and she was talking about, you know, inclusion and We talked a little bit about, you know, there's a lot of work around, you know, DEI, like diversity, equity, and inclusion in the world. But sometimes I feel like people with disabilities, whether they're physical or intellectual, are left out of that equation. And I agree 100%. Yeah. So I do think that there's a place for there to be an increase in awareness and education. But I guess the question is really, like you say, how do we do it? And how do we address it? Well, maybe this is going to be work you do in your future with your... Maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll see. <laughs> I know you mentioned your the mentor that you met through basketball. Do you have any other specific stories of individuals that have either been inspired by your journey? I know some of the younger kids you said at St. Justine or anyone that's... Any impact that's been left with you that you'd, that you'd like to share with uh, our listeners? One impact that really made a difference for me was at my physio clinic when one of the younger patients saw me for the first time and he had heard about me in the past and everything. He had seen my TED talk, I believe my videos I'd done with St. Justin and like my positive attitude and just seeing him come up to me, you know, talk to me, kind of look at me like I'm his hero and like ask to take a picture with me and stuff. It really, really meant a lot to me. It really meant a lot to me and it really touched me and it really showed me that whatever I'm doing, it's helping a lot of people. And I'm really happy to be having that effect on others, especially in that position, because it's very hard. I'm I'm fortunate enough to have had, like I said, a very positive outlook and very positive surroundings around me, but not everybody has that, right? A lot of people aren't able to see the positive part of what they have and stuff. And it's very hard, especially being a younger kid than 13 and everything. So I'm just really happy I'm making a difference in a lot of kids' lives, especially at the clinic now. There are a few younger patients who have openly told me they really look up to me, and I'm really happy about that. And I really want to do more of that and help them understand that just because you're in this position, it's not let, don't let it control your life, you know? Sort of look at life in a more positive way and take advantage of everything you can do. It's so true. And on that note, is there anything, like any other last thoughts that you'd like to leave, let us know about? Any, I know some, maybe some of your longer term goals, aspirations, or anything you want to share with us? I mean, my longer term goals are, of course, to attend law school and to get my degree in law. And 
attack accessibility laws in Quebec specifically, because I find we have a lot to work on as a province itself, and I feel it's a great starting point. And I'm looking very much forward to meeting with the accessibility head of Quebec in the near future, I believe in January, I'm meeting with them with a friend of mine, who we're going to be working on an article to put out to kind of help explain to people how difficult certain things are and how much things need to change in order for everybody to sort of feel included. And again, I'm, I really hope it helps with the whole out of sight, out of mind situation and really puts into perspective what other people go through. And aside from that, of course, you know, walking, walking is my goal that I've been working <laughs> on and it's been going very well lately. And I'm really looking forward to making some very big strides in the next couple of months. Yes, big strides physically and mentally. It's a perfect word exactly. for it. 100%. Well, it's been a very big privilege for me to be able to listen to your story. And thank you so much. You should be very proud of yourself just as a person because you've come a long way and it's it really is inspirational. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure to have attended. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.